This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Dmitri Fotopoulos in Northern Virginia. Note. Dracula's guest was exercised from the original text by his publisher because of the length of the original book. It was published as a short story in 1914, two years after Stoker's death. Enjoy. When we started for our drive, the sun was shining brightly in, on Minich, and the air was full of the joyousness of early summer. Just as we were about to depart, heard Dubec, the maire de hotel, Quatre Saisons, where I was staying, came down beforehand to the carriage, and after wishing me a pleasant drive, said to the coachman, still holding his hand on the handle of the carriage door, Remember, you are back by nightfall. The sky looks bright, but there is a shiver in the north wind that says there may be a sudden storm. But I am sure you will not be too late. Here he smiled and added, for you know what night it is. Johann answered with an emphatic, Ja, mien her, and touching his hat, drove off quickly. When we had cleared the town, I said after signaling for him to stop, Tell me, Johann, what is tonight? He crossed himself as he answered, laconically, Volpigelsnacht. Then he looked at his watch, a great old-fashioned German silver thing as big as a turnip, and looked at it, with his eyebrows gathered together and a little impatient shrug of his shoulders. I realized that this was a way of respectfully protesting against the unnecessary delay, and sank back in the carriage, merely motioning him to proceed. He started off rapidly, as if to make up for the lost time. Every now and then, the horses seemed to throw up their heads and sniff the air suspiciously. On such occasions, I often looked around in alarm. The road was pretty bleak, for we were traveling a sort of high, windswept plateau. As we drove, I saw a road that looked but little used, and which seemed to dip through a little winding valley. It looked so inviting that even at the risk of offending him, I called Johann to stop. And when he had pulled up, I told him I would like to drive down that road. He made all sorts of excuses, and frequently crossed himself as he spoke. This somewhat piqued my curiosity, so I asked him various questions. He answered fencingly and repeatedly looked at his watch in protest. Finally, I said, Well, Johann, I want to go down this road. I shall not ask you to come unless you like, but tell me why you do not like to go. That is all I ask. For answer, he seemed to throw himself off the box. So quickly did he reach the ground. Then he stretched out his hands appealingly to me and implored me not to go. There was just enough of English mixed with German for me to understand the drift of his talk. He seemed always just about to tell me something, the very idea of which evidently frightened him. But each time he pulled himself up, saying, Walpigesnacht. I tried to argue with him, but it was difficult to argue with a man when I did not know his language. The advantage certainly rested with him, for although he began to speak in English of a very crude and broken kind, he always got excited and broke into his native tongue, and every time he did so, he looked at his watch. Then the horses became restless and sniffed the air. At this he grew very pale, and looking around in a frightened way, he suddenly jumped forward, 
took them by the bridle and led them some twenty feet. I followed and asked why he had done this. For an answer, he crossed himself, pointed to the spot we had left, and drew the carriage in the direction of the other road, indicating a cross, and said, first in German, then in English, buried him, him, what killed themselves. I remember the old custom of burying suicides at crossroads. Ah, I see, a suicide. How interesting. But for the life of me, I could not make out why the horses were frightened. Whilst we were talking, we heard a sort of sound between a yelp and a bark. It was far away, but the horses got very restless, and it took Johann all this time to quiet them. He was pale and said, It sounds like a wolf, but yet there are not wolves here now. No, I said, questioning him. Isn't it long since the wolves were so near the city? Long, long, he answered, in the spring and summer. But with the snow, the wolves have been here not too long. While he was petting the horses and trying to quiet them, dark clouds drifted rapidly across the sky. The sunshine passed away, and a breath of cold wind seemed to drift over us. It was only a breath, however, and more of a warning than a fact, for the sun came out brightly again. Johann looked under his lifted hand at the horizon and said, the storm of snow, he comes before long. Then he looked at his watch again, and straight away holding his reins firmly, for the horses were still pawing the ground restlessly and shaking their heads, he climbed his box as though the time had come for proceeding on our journey. I felt a little obstinate, and did not at once get into the carriage. Tell me, I said, about this place where the road leads. And I pointed down. Again he crossed himself, and murmured a prayer before he answered, It's unholy. What is unholy? I inquired. The village. Then there is a village? No, no, no. One lives there hundreds of years. My curiosity was piqued. But you said there was a village. There was. Where is it now? Whereupon he burst out into a long story in German and English so mixed up that I could not quite understand exactly what he said. Roughly, I gathered that long ago, hundreds of years, men had died there and had been buried in their graves, but sounds were heard under the clay, and that when the graves were opened, men and women were found rosy with life and their mouths red with blood, and so in haste to save their lives, I, their souls. And here he crossed himself. Those who were left fled away to other places, where the living lived and the dead were dead, and not, not something. He was evidently afraid to speak the last words. As he proceeded with his narration, he grew more and more excited. It seemed as if his imagination had got hold of him, and he ended in a perfect paroxysm of fear. White-faced, perspiring, trembling, and looking round him as if expecting that some dreadful presence would manifest itself there in the bright sunshine. Finally, in agony of desperation, he cried, Volpigus knocked, and pointed to the carriage for me to get in. All my English blood rose at this, and standing back, I said, You are afraid, Johann, you are afraid. Go home, I shall return alone, the walk will do me good.
The carriage door was open. I took from my seat my oak walking stick, which I always carry on my holiday excursions, and closed the door pointing back to Minich and said, Go home, Johann. Volpigasnock doesn't concern Englishmen. The horses were now more restive than ever, and Johann was trying to hold them in, while excitedly imploring me not to do anything so foolish. I pitied the poor fellow. He was so deeply in earnest, but all the same, I could not help laughing. His English was quite gone now. In his anxiety, he had forgotten that his only means of making me understand was to talk my language. So he jabbered away in his native German. It began to be a little tedious. After giving the direction home, I turned to go down the crossroad into the valley. With a despairing gesture, Johann turned his horses towards Minich. I leaned on my stick and looked after him. He went slowly along the road for a while. Then he came over the crest of a hill, a man, tall and thin, I could see so much in the distance. When he drew near the horses, they began to jump and kick about them to scream with terror. Johann could not hold them in. They bolted down the road, running away madly. I watched them out of sight, then looked for the stranger, but I found that he too was gone. With a light heart, I turned down the side road, through the deepening valley to which Johann had objected. There was not the slightest reason that I could see for his objection. I dare say I, I tramped for a couple of hours without thinking of time or distance, and certainly without seeing a person or a house. So far as this place was concerned, it was desolation itself, but I did not notice this particularly, till on turning a bend in the road I came upon a scattered fringe of wood. When I recognized that I had been impressed unconsciously by the desolation of the region through which I had passed, I sat down to rest myself and began to look around. It struck me that it was considerably colder than it had been at the commencement of my walk. A sort of sighing sound seemed to be around me, now and then high overhead, a sort of muffled roar. Looking upwards, I noticed the great thick clouds were drifting rapidly across the sky, from north to south at a great height. There were signs of a coming storm in some lofty stratum of the air. I was a little chilly, and thinking that it was the sitting still after the exercise of walking, I resumed my journey. The ground I passed over was now much more picturesque. There were no striking objects that the eye might single out, but in all there was a charm of beauty. I took little heed of time, and it was only when the deepening twilight forced itself upon me that I began to think of how I should find my way home. Their air was cold. The drifting of clouds high overhead was more marked. They were accompanied by a sort of faraway rushing sound, through which seemed to come in intervals that mysterious cry, which the driver had said came from a wolf. For a while I hesitated. I had said I would see the deserted village, so on I went and presently came to a wide stretch of open country, shut in by hills all around. Their sides were covered with trees, which spread down to the plain, dotting in clumps the gentler slopes and hollows, which showed here and there. As I looked, there came a cold shiver in there, and snow began to fall. I thought of the miles and miles of bleak country I had passed to seek shelter of the wood in front. Darker and darker grew the sky, 
and faster and heavier fell the snow till the earth before and around me was glistening white carpet the further edge of which was lost in misty vagueness the road was here but crude and when on the level its boundaries were not so marked as when i passed through the cuttings and in a little while i found that i must have strayed from it for i missed underfoot the hard surface and my feet sank deeper in the grass and moss then the wind grew stronger and blew with ever-increasing force till i was fain to run before it the air became icy cold, and in spite of my exercise, I began to suffer. The snow was now falling so thickly and whirling around me in such rapid eddies that I could hardly keep my eyes open. Every now and then the heavens were torn asunder by vivid lightning. In the flashes I could see ahead of me a great mass of trees, chiefly yew and cypress, all heavily coated with snow. I was soon amongst the shelter of the trees, and there, in comparative silence, I could hear a rush of the wind high overhead. Presently, the bleakness of the storm had become merged in the darkness of the night. By and by, the storm seemed to be passing away, and now only came in fierce puffs or blasts. At such moments, the weird sound of the wolf appeared to be echoed by many similar sounds around me. Now and again, through the black mass of drifting cloud, came a staggering ray of moonlight, which lit up the expanse and showed me that I was at the edge of a dense mass of cypress and yew trees. As the snow had ceased to fall, I walked out from the shelter and began to investigate more closely. It appeared to me that amongst so many old foundations as I had passed, there might still be a standing house in which, though in ruin, I could find some sort of shelter for a while. As I skirted the edge of the copse, I found that a low wall encircled it, and following this, I presently found an opening. Here the cypresses formed an alley, leading up to a square mass of some kind of building. Just as I caught sight of this, however, the drifting clouds obscured the moon, and I passed up the path in darkness. The wind must have grown colder, for I felt myself shiver as I walked. But there was hope of shelter. I groped my way blindly on. I stopped, for there was a sudden stillness. The storm had passed, and perhaps in sympathy with nature's silence, my heart seemed to cease to beat. But this was only momentary for suddenly the moonlight broke through the clouds showing me that i was in a graveyard and that the square object before me was a great massive tomb of marble as white as snow that lay on and all around it with the moonlight there came a fierce sign of storm which appeared to resume its course with a long low howl as if many dogs or wolves i was awed and shocked I felt the cold perceptibility grow upon me, till it seemed to grip me by the heart. Then, while the flood of moonlight still fell on the marble tomb, the storm gave further evidence of renewing, as though it were returning on its track. Impelled by some sort of fascination, I approached the sepulchre to see what it was and why such a thing stood alone in such a place. I walked around it and read over the Doric door in German, Countess... Dollingen of Gratz, in Styria, sought and found death, 1801. On the top of the tomb, seemingly driven through the solid marble, for the structure was composed of few vast blocks of stone, was a great iron spike or stake, 
on going to the back i saw graven in great russian letters the dead travel fast there was something so weird and uncanny about the whole thing that it gave me a turn and made me feel quite faint i began to wish for the first time that i had taken johann's advice here a thought struck me which came under almost mysterious circumstances and with a terrible shock this was walpigusnacht walpigusnacht was when according to the belief of millions of people the devil was abroad when the graves were opened and the dead came forth and walked when all evil things of earth and air and water held revel the very place the driver had specially shunned this was the depopulated village of centuries ago this was where the suicide lay and thus was the place where i was alone unarmed shivering and cold in a shroud of snow with a wild storm gathering again upon me it took all my philosophy all the religion i had been taught all my courage not to collapse in a paroxysm of fright and now a perfect tornado burst upon me the ground shook as though thousands of horses thundered across it and this time the storm bore on its icy wings not snow but great hailstones which drove with such violence that they might have come from the throngs of balearic singers hailstones that beat down leaf and branch and made the shelter of cypresses of no more avail than though their stems were standing corn at the first i had rushed to the nearest tree but i was soon fain to leave it and seek the only spot that seemed to afford refuge the deep doric doorway of the marble tomb there crouching against the massive bronze door i gained a certain amount of protection from the beating of the hailstones for now they only drove against me as if they ricketed from the ground and the side of the marble as i leaned against the door it moved slightly and opened inwards the shelter of even a tomb was welcome in that pitiless tempest and i was about to enter it when there came a flash of forked lightning that lit up the whole expanse of the heavens in the instant as i am a living man i saw as my eyes turned into the darkness of the tomb a beautiful woman with round cheeks and red lips seemingly sleeping on a bier as the thunder broke overhead i was grasped as by the hand of a giant and hurled into the storm the whole thing was so sudden that before i could realize the shock moral as well as physical i found the hailstones beating me down at the same time i had a strange dominating feeling that i was not alone i looked towards the tomb just then there came another blinding flash which seemed to strike the iron stake and surround the tomb and to pour through the earth blasting crumbling the marble as in a burst of flame the dead woman rose for a moment of agony while she was lapped in the flame and her bitter scream of pain was drowned in the thunder crash the last thing i heard was a mingling of dreadful sound as again i was seized in the giant grasp and dragged away while the hailstones beat on me and their rounds seemed reverberating with the howling of wolves this last sight that i remembered was a vague white moving mass as if all the graves around me had sent out the phantoms of the sheeted dead and that they were closing in on me through the white cloudiness of the driving hail gradually there came a sort of vague beginning of consciousness then a sense of weariness that was dreadful 
For a time I remembered nothing, but slowly my senses returned. My feet seemed positively racked with pain, yet I could not move them. They seemed to be numbed. There was an icy feeling at the back of my neck and all down my spine and my ears, like my feet were dead yet in torment. But there was in my heart a sense of warmth, which was by comparison delicious. It was a nightmare, a physical nightmare, if one may use such expression, for some heavy weight on my chest made it difficult for me to breathe. This period of semi-lethargy seemed to remain a long time, and as it faded away, I must have slept or swooned. Then came a sort of loathing, like the first stage of sickness and a wild desire to be free of something, I knew not what. A vast stillness enveloped me, as though all the world were asleep or dead, only broken by the low panting as of some animal close to me. I felt a warm rasping at my throat. Then came a consciousness of the awful truth, which chilled me to the heart, and sent the blood surging up through my brain. Some great animal was lying on me, and now licking my throat. I feared to stir, for some instinct of prudence bade me lie still. But the brute seemed to realize that there was now some change in me, for it raised its head. Through my eyelashes, I saw above me the great flaming eyes of a gigantic wolf. Its sharp white teeth gleamed in the gaping red mouth, and I could feel its hot breath fierce and acrid upon me. For another spell of time, I remembered no more. Then I became conscious of a low growl, followed by a yelp, renewed again and again. Then, seemingly very far away, I heard a holoa, holoa, as of many voices calling in unison. Cautiously, I raised my head and looked in the direction whence the sound came. But the cemetery blocked my view. The wolf still continued to yelp. In a strange way, a red glare began to move round the grove of cypresses, as though following the sound. As the voices drew closer, the wolf yelped faster and louder. I feared to make either sound or motion. Nearer came the red glow over the white pall which stretched into the darkness around me. Then, at once from beyond the trees, there came a trot, a troop of horsemen, bearing torches. The wolf rose from my breast and made for the cemetery. I saw one of the horsemen, soldiers by their caps and their long military cloaks, raise his carbine and take aim. A companion knocked up his arm. I heard the ball whiz over my head. He had evidently taken my body for that of the wolf, another sighted animal as it slunk away, and his shot followed. Then at a gallop, the troop rode forward, some towards me, others following the wolf, as it disappeared amongst the snow-clad cypresses. As they drew near, I tried to move, but was powerless. Though I could see and hear all that went on around me, two or three of the soldiers jumped from their horses and knelt beside me. One of them raised my head and placed his hand over my heart. Good news, comrades, he cried. His heart still beats. Then some brandy was poured down my throat. It put vigor into me, and I was able to open my eyes fully and look around. Lights and shadows were moving amongst the trees, and I heard men call one another. They drew together, uttering frightened exclamations 
and the lights flashed as the others came pouring out of the cemetery pell-mell like men possessed when the further ones came close to us those who were around me asked them eagerly well have you found him the reply rang out hurriedly no no come away quick quick this is no place to stay and on this of all nights what was it was the question asked in all manner of keys the answer came variously and all indefinitely as though the men were moved by some common impulse to speak yet were restricted by some common fear from giving their thoughts it it indeed gibbered one whose wits had plainly given out for the moment a wolf and yet not a wolf another put in shruggingly no use trying for him without the sacred bullet a third remarked in a more ordinary manner serve us right for coming out on the night truly we have earned our thousand marks were the ejaculations of the fourth there was blood on the broken marble another said after a pause the lightning never brought that there and for him is he safe look at his throat see comrades the wolf has been lying on him and keeping his blood warm the officer looked at my throat and replied he is all right the skin is not pierced what does it all mean we should never have found him but for the yelping of the wolf what became of it asked the man who was holding up my head and who seemed the least panic-stricken of the party for his hands were steady and without tremor on his sleeves were the chevron of a petty officer it went home answered the man whose long face had pallid and who actually shook with terror as he glanced around him fiercely there are graves enough there in which it may lie come comrades come quickly let us leave this cursed spot the officer raised me to a sitting position as he uttered a word of command then several men placed me upon a horse he sprang to the saddle behind me and took me in his arms gave the word to advance and turning our faces away from the cypresses we rode away in swift military order as yet my tongue refused to its office and i was perforce silent i must have fallen asleep for the next thing i remember was finding myself standing up supported by a soldier on each side of me it was almost broad daylight and to the north a red stake of sunlight was reflected like a path of blood over the waste of the snow the officer was telling the men to say nothing of what they had seen except that they had found an english stranger guided by a large dog dog that was no dog cut in the man who had exhibited such fear i think i know a wolf when i see one the young officer answered calmly i said a dog dog reiterated the other ironically it was evident that his courage was rising with the sun and pointing to me he said look at his throat is that the work of a dog master instinctively i raised my hand to my throat and as i touched it i cried out in pain the men crowded round to look some stepping down from their saddles and then again there came the calm voice of the young officer a dog as i said if aught else were said we should only be laughed at i was then mounted behind a trooper and rode on into the suburbs of minich where we came across a stray carriage into which i was lifted and it was driven off on the quatre saisons the young officer accompanying me whilst a trooper followed with his horse the others rode off to their barracks when he arrived her dubec rushed so quickly down the steps to meet me that it was apparent he had been watching within taking me by both hands he solicitously led me in the officer saluted me 
and was turning to withdraw when i recognized the purpose and insisted that he should come to my room over a glass of wine i warmly thanked him and his brave comrades for saving me he replied simply that he was more than glad and that her dubec had at the first taken steps to make all the searching party pleased at which ambiguous utterance the matiere de hotel smiled while the officer pled duty and withdrew but her dubec i inquired how and why was it that the soldier searched for me he shrugged his shoulders as if in deprecation of, of his own deed as he replied i was so fortunate to obtain leave from the commander of the regiment in which i served to ask for volunteers how did you know i was lost i asked the driver came hither with the remains of the carriage which had been upset when the horses ran away but surely you would not send a search party of soldiers merely on my account oh no he answered but even before the coachman arrived i had the telegram from the boyar whose guest you are and he took from his pocket a telegram which he handed to me and i read bistritz be careful of my guest his safety is most precious to me should oust happen to him or if he be missed spare nothing to find him and ensure his safety he is english and therefore adventurous there are often dangers from snow and wolves at night lose not a moment if you suspect harm to him i answer your zeal with my fortune dracula as i held the telegram in my hand the room seemed to whirl around me and if the attentive matiere de hotel had not caught me i think i should have fallen there was something so strange in all of this something so weird and impossible to imagine that there grew on me a sense of being in some way the sport of opposite forces the mere vague idea of which seemed in a way to paralyze me i was certainly under some form of mysterious protection from a distant country had come in the very nick of time a message that took me out of the danger of snow sleep and the jaws of the wolf End of dracula's guest